0: Thank you, Joshua. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in your Bibles this morning. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind or strength. And the Bible speaks of that. And the Bible tells us, uh, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ asking Peter, uh, do you love me? Um, and of course, Peter, Peter's response was uh, uh, kind of, I like you. And, uh, and uh, is, is the idea of what he said. And ultimately, uh, the Lord Jesus was drawing out from Peter's heart and from his actions. Peter, do you love me? And if you do, feed my sheep feed my sheep, take care of them, lead them, love them. Uh, Do you love the Lord uh, Jesus Christ? Do you love him? Uh, I think just by your being here this morning, most of us in this room could say, honestly, yes, I love God. I love him. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and, but yet, many of us could also say, most all of us could also say, but there are times where I don't love him like I should. There are times where I get distracted and my love gets drawn away from him. Again, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Is it possible to, uh, to do the will of God, to keep the commandments of God without loving God? Is it possible to, to do the right thing, but with a wrong motive? I think it is. I think it's possible to do the right thing with the wrong motive. I think it's possible for a husband and wife to stay faithful to one another in their marriage, but not love one another like they should. I think it's possible for a church member to come to church, to gather together, to assemble like we're commanded to do, but not do it for the right motive or the right reason. I think it's possible for you and for me to well, I think it's possible for me to preach a message and not do it out of a heart of love. It's possible for a choir member to sing in the choir, and and I appreciate the choir so much. Every Sunday they come at about 4.45 and they practice almost every Sunday year-round so that they can be an encouragement and a blessing to us, and I appreciate them so much for that. But it's possible for a choir member to to sing... Beautiful music, but not out of a heart of love for God or for the people that they're singing to. It's possible for a Sunday school teacher to study the Bible and then gather all the children around her and, and give the word of God, uh, but not do it out of a heart of love. What am I saying? I'm saying this. It's possible to go through life and miss the point of it all. And the point of it all is to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our hearts, and to love our neighbors like we do ourselves. What are are some ways that we can serve God? Well, if we were to answer that question, we'd have to say what it means to serve God, and that is to do God's will. So what what are some ways that we can do God's will in the workplace? Well, we could be honest. To be honest in the workplace would be to do the will of God, to serve God. To be honest in the workplace would be to serve God. Are you honest in the workplace, are you serving God, and are you doing it with love? Um, what are some ways we could do the will of God in our homes? Well, to train up our children in the way that they should go, not according to you and me and our flesh, but according to the Word of God. But are we training up our children in love? There certainly is a vast difference between disciplining our children biblically um, A corporal punishment um, in anger. That wouldn't be biblical, by the way. It'd be possible to corporately discipline our children uh, and do it in anger. And there's a vast difference between that and disciplining our children in in a corporal way, but in love. Big difference. Or a husband and wife and how they interact with one another. And then, of course, as just a church member, as I mentioned before, it's possible to come, go through the motions of doing the will of God, but our hearts aren't in, aren't, aren't in it. One of, one of the great desires of my heart for myself and for my family and for you, for us as a church corporately, is not just that we'll attend services. I'm always, I always rejoices my heart when we have a full auditorium and you're here and I look out and I see you and And I praise God that you're here to hear the word of God, that it rejoices my heart. But one of the prayers of my heart is not that we just go through the motions of doing the will of God, but that we would do it for the right reason, that we would do it out of a heart of love, a motivation, that the motivation of our hearts would be, we're we're gathering together, God, because we love you. Uh, We're we're training our children in such a way because we, we love you, God. Or, or we're going to do right in the workplace because we love you. We love God. Why do I do what I do? It ought to be because of my love for God and my love for other people. My love for other people. You know, every believer is a necessary part of, of a membership of a body of believers. Every single one of you and me, we're all necessary. We're necessary parts of the body. Uh, but I want to get to the the motivation behind what we do, why we do what we do this morning. And that is the motivation is love. It ought to be the central attitude. It ought to be the central action of every single thing that we do ought to be motivated by love. You're in First Corinthians chapter 13. That's where I'm at. Uh, we'll go to John 13 in just a moment. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. I'm gonna read down through verse number thirteen. We're not gonna study through all of these verses this morning, but I wanna look at this beautiful passage that many call the love chapter in the Bible. And I wanna consider it in its context and how it applies to us this morning. First Corinthians chapter thirteen, beginning in verse number one, it says this. Paul Paul's writing, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, it means love, a sacrificial love, the kind of love that took Jesus to the cross. To die for you and for me, he says, "I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal." Get the idea of that? Sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Verse two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, I'm willing to give my life for the Lord and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Verse 4 now tells us what charity is and following. It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Charity beareth all things, it says in verse 7. Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is taking God of this word. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth says, Now abide his faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. Love. What kind of a church are we? What kind of a man am I? Um, some of us in this room are disciplined, others organized, some of us are neither of those or passionate. But Whether you're passionate or organized or disciplined or hardworking or on and on the list of positive attributes could go, are you a person of love? The kind of love that the Holy Spirit says is the greatest of faith, greater than faith, greater than hope. It's sacrificial, selfless love. It's me being willing to to not do what I feel like, To be a blessing to someone else. Is that the kind of person you are? We call ourselves Christians. Many of us in this room call ourselves Christians because there was a time in our lives when we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. But you remember uh, the first time they were called Christians. They were identified as Christians by people who were lost. They called them Christians. Little Christs. Because they saw in those believers... The love, the selfless, sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, if I want my four children to know and to love God, they're going to have to see it in my life that he is worthy of their daddy's love, his sacrificial love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his body. And that's the context of this passage. Paul, as he writes to the church at Corinth, has just talked to them about, in, in, in chapter 12, they've gotten off base with this thing of tongues. They're glorifying it, and everybody's seeking after it. And, and they wanted to be exalted. And now he comes to chapter 13, and he says, you know what? Greater than all these other spiritual gifts that are good and given by God is sacrificial love. And church at Corinth, this is what he's saying. Church at Corinth, if you would just love one another the way the Lord Jesus Christ loves you, you would do well. Let's be that kind of a church. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us this morning. Father, we've gathered ourselves together. We've assembled as a church uh, because we do love you, and we believe in your word and what it says, and we want to hear from you. We want you to speak to us today by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to please you. We want to glorify and honor you. Father, I pray that you would teach us by your word and by your Holy Spirit on this matter of love. And Father, may we bring honor and glory to you. And we point others to Jesus Christ as they see the love of Christ in us. I pray these things for your honor and for your glory. Amen. Now, keep in mind... Uh, these attributes of love are painted against a backdrop, as Paul talks about them here in chapter 13, they're really painted against a backdrop of a very unloving congregation. The church at Corinth was not characterized by love. It wasn't. And I don't preach this to us today as a church because I believe we're an unloving congregation, though I do know in my own life there are times where I put what I desire before the needs of others. And I put what I want sometimes before my God. And so I suppose if I struggle with it from time to time, you probably do as well. Uh, And so we need to hear this. And the church at Corinth was struggling in this area. The church at Corinth was marked by strife. I am so thankful uh, today that I can, as best I know, I know of no strife within the congregation of Trinity Baptist Church. I haven't always been able to say that, but I can say that today, and it's been like that for some period of time. I know of no strife, but the church at Corinth was marked by strife. They were marked by contention. Uh, Animosity was within the church, And and Paul addresses this, and, and so we really see they were harming one another. They were hurting each other. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 13. You can look there with me if you'd like, but I'm just going to read just a few verses I'd like you to think about as we begin this morning. John chapter 13 and verse number 31. John chapter 13 and verse 31. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, was talking to his apostles his disciples, and he makes a statement. I highlighted this in Sunday school this morning, just briefly for our foundations class. In John 13, uh, in verse number 31, Jesus says this. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify uh, glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek me. And as I said unto, unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then he says in verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one for another. How is it that the world around us knows that we're followers of Jesus Christ? And Jesus Christ, as he talked to his apostles, and you can go back to our text in 1 Corinthians, but as Jesus Christ talked to his apostles, he tells them, there's a litmus test by which everybody around you will know if you're a follower of Jesus or not. And what's the test? If you love one another. If you have a love one for another. Now, before, before I loved Cindy, before I knew her, and there was a time when I didn't love Cindy. I didn't know her. I didn't know her. She lived, grew up in Pennsylvania. I grew up in Michigan. There was a time I didn't love her. It's kind of hard to imagine as I think about that for a moment. There was a time when she wasn't a part of my life. I didn't know her at all. I didn't know anything about her. But but, but as I got to know her and I began to love her more and more and more, um, the love that I have for her was made evident uh, to others by how I pursued her, by how I wanted to take care of her, by how I wanted to provide for her. Um, Jesus says... Everybody around you is going to know that you love God by the way you love one another. There are times in a marriage where, well, there are lots of times in a marriage, almost all the time, where if two are going to live together and have a marriage that is pleasing and honoring to God, they have to put the needs, sometimes the desires of their spouse above themselves. In other words, it's this sacrificial love. You have to set aside what you, maybe what you used to do for your spouse. Because it's not just about you anymore. And before we were married, Cindy didn't enter my mind. She she didn't exist. I I did whatever I wanted to do. You know, if, if I wanted to spend my money on that, I did. But after we were married, we... I had to consider what she thought, what she wanted, her opinion, her perspective, her desires. Before I knew her and before I loved her, her desires didn't matter to me. And if we're going to be identified by the world around us, and not just the world around us, that seems so far away, but if we're going to be identified by our own children as people who actually love God, then some things in our lives have to be different. And what I mean by that is this, instead of just going about our lives doing whatever we feel like doing, we have to put him first and do what he desires, and primarily that's loving one another. others others around us know, they can tell if we love God or not, by how we love the body of Christ. How we love each other. Do we care about one another? When someone else hurts, do we hurt? Do we care enough about one another to come together, to be together, to sit together, to sing together, to work together, to rejoice together? Do we care about that at all? Jesus told his disciples that they would be identified as his followers because of their love for one another. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that's our text this morning, is identified or uh, often identified as the love chapter in the Bible. It's often, ta- it's often used for wedding, uh, sometimes weddings or premarital counseling. And it's a wonderful description of sacrificial love. But its original intent was to instruct church members how they should relate to one another. How how they should view one another. How they should interact with one another. The member, uh, the believer that lives up to the description found in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, will be a church member Uh, That God uses to build a vibrant church a church that is pleasing to God And so I can ask this question just as we're starting this morning is your life characterized by sacrificial love And to answer that question I want to look at the description found in our passage notice in begin in verse number one And first of all, I notice I want to notice that the essence of love this morning. What is the essence of love? Notice again in verse number one, I'll read down to verse number three. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, that would be pretty impressive, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, very giving, And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What is the essence of love? In 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10, uh, the, the apostle John penned these words, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us so much that he was willing to send his only son as a substitute to die in our place, to take away our sins. Charity, it comes from the Greek word agape. Most of us know that. The word is agape. It's most frequently in the Bible translated as love. And it's the highest level of love in which one gives himself for another. Now keep in mind, this is the word that the Holy Spirit chooses to use as he, write, as, he, as he has a message for a church. Young believers who are new, just newly saved, and some believers who have probably been saved for a number of years by now. Some people don't hardly know the Word of God, and some people really know the Word of God well. Some are not walking with God at all. Some are walking with God. And the message the Holy Spirit has for this church is the message of love. You need to love one another the way you interact with one another, the motive with which you gather yourselves together, where you choose to sit, should be, term- be determined by love. Well, I was just looking for an open seat. You know, I've done that, right? I'm just looking to find a spot where I can slip in and kind of inconspicuously. Or sometimes we choose our seat and this isn't the main thrust of the text here, okay? Don't get me wrong. But I just, I'm trying to find my seat just so I'm, I have a good exit. You know, I've got to get to the restaurant on time. And, 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 that, and, and what I'm saying here and what the Apostle Paul is saying is whatever you do within the local church needs to be motivated by love. And, I'm, and I'm, I'll, I'll say it, and I'm using kind of a silly illustration to emphasize it, but even where you sit, you know that in, in, in growing to love my wife, as we were just initially meeting, I wanted, to, I, wanted to, I, I wanted to spend time with her so I could get to know her. She interested me. I was interested in her. And uh, I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to spend time with her. I can remember early on getting wind that some other guy was interested in her. And just to paint the picture for you, uh, he was a professor at the college. Master's degree. He wasn't that good looking, really, but, but, but he was, you know, he was all right. But uh, smart, responsible you know whatever and and then there was and then there was me had squandered time in undergraduate up in Wisconsin had wasted my money hadn't been very responsible transfer student classified as a sophomore <laughs> what were you thinking <laughs> but you know what I I had my affections were growing for her and I was growing to love her and I wanted to be with her. I'm just using that as an illustration. Listen, you and I ought to have a love for one another. We ought to have a desire to be together with one another. To sit together. Families. You know, I see Todd and I see Josh Harney sitting next to each other and you probably could hear each other singing today as you were sitting somewhat close to each other. I knew I shouldn't have mentioned Todd's name in a message. I should know better than that. But you know what? It's good to be together. It's good to be together. And this essence of love is a love for one another. That's what he's talking about. Keep that in mind. So I notice in verse number one that words without love are empty. Just saying I love you, but not sacrificially giving yourself for somebody else. Uh, just saying I love you, but not setting aside what you want for what someone else needs, it's not love. Notice again, verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It's just noise. In verse two, we see that wisdom without love is empty. Wisdom without love is empty. I'm talking about. Knowledge, yes, but then the application of knowledge. Wisdom is a good thing. We're we're commanded to follow after wisdom. We're told in James to pray for wisdom. We need wisdom. Knowing how to use the knowledge that we have the right way. But notice in verse number two, wisdom without love is empty. He says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and that was a specific gift that he's already talked about in this this, uh, book. He says, and and though I understand all mysteries, so his great understanding, this would be someone who understands the Bible, understands truth. And I have all knowledge. And though I have all faith, that's pleasing to God, so that I could remove mountains. Remember, Jesus talked about that during his earthly ministry. A person with the faith of the great size of the grain of a mustard seed could remove mountains, could tell trees to move. It would happen. This is incredible. These are good things. These aren't bad things. He says if I have wisdom, if I have faith, if I have if I understand the scriptures and have faith but have not charity, he says at the end of verse number 2, I am nothing. I'm not useful. I'm not useful. Some of us in this room, we have a lot of words, like in verse number one. We have gifts that God has given. But the question is, do we have love? You see, the essence of love is not found in words. The essence of love is not found in wisdom. And then, or works. In verse three, he says, works without love are empty. Verse three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Now, this one's curious to me. Because isn't it, wouldn't it require some love to give? I mean, I don't think you can I don't I don't think that you can I don't think you can be loving and not give, okay? But apparently it's possible to give and not be loving. It's possible for me to go through the motions of giving but not be motivated for the right reason. It's impossible for me to be loving and not give. He says, and though I bestow all my goods, I give everything that I have to feed the poor, those who don't have. And though I give my body to be burned. And if you were to study church history at all, you you would read about thousands of people, thousands of people who have died rather than deny the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He says, if you do these things and you have not charity you're not a loving person, if you're not motivated by the love of Christ, it profiteth me nothing. You see, works without love are empty. I noticed secondly this morning that love acts kindly. So in verses one through three, we really see what love is not. It's not words. It's not wisdom, people who just know. It's not works. It's not people who just do. So what is love? Well, a few thoughts this morning will be done. Number one, really, or number two, love acts kindly. Love acts kindly. Notice number, or verse number four, the beginning part. It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. What is love? If you, were to ask, if you were to answer the question I asked you this morning, are you a loving person? Are you loving the way Christ loves? That's not just in this room. That's on the way here, on the way home, in the restaurant a little bit later if you're going out, or when you get home with your family, at work, at play, wherever you're at, are you a loving person? Are you a kind person? Because charity suffereth long and is kind. Suffereth long. Love suffers sometimes. Love is patient with people. The word's emphasizing charity suffereth long. It's emphasizing the fact that we're talking here about relationships in the church. To say that we're patient means that we're slow to become angry. You're slow to become frustrated when dealing with troublesome people. Now, he's talking to the church. See, we can make application to our workplace. You say, I might have some frustrating people there. But he's talking about the church. Are there any, I'm careful how I ask this, but are there any frustrating people in the church? Maybe in another church. We don't know what he's talking about here, so we'll just have to imagine what that might be like. But I'm sure other churches deal with this. Uh, I don't know if, but there are frustrating. Sometimes I'm frustrating to you probably. Or maybe you're frustrating to someone else. But to say that we're patient means that we're slow to becoming angry, angry. we're not, we're slow to becoming frustrated when dealing with troublesome people, difficult people. Are you long-tempered? Charity, love suffereth long, it's kind, love is kind to people. The word kind means useful, kindness is finding ways to help others. We can help others by comforting other people. We can help each other by comforting one another. We can help each other by encouraging one another. Maybe it's sharing knowledge. Maybe it's sharing wisdom. This past week, Richard George came out to my house and he helped me learn how to solder pipes together. You know, he really helped me. then we talked about some things together. But you know what? You have knowledge. You have wisdom in different things. Are you using that to help the body of believers? You can. Just by your mere attendance, you're an encouragement to one another. You're an encouragement to me. But, but I want you to know, you have abilities, some that are natural abilities, some things that you've learned the hard way, and just by helping in those areas, you can help one another. I, I've shared some of this before, but, but uh, years ago, when my parents moved into this, into flushing, uh, we moved into a building, built in the 1860s. There was no running water, and there was no, There was no heat in that building. We moved into the summer. In in the summer, my dad was working at a job in Fenton, teaching two days a week. He hadn't started yet. And there was not much that we had. And I can remember some people from Trinity Baptist Church coming by and knocking on our door. That's what we're going to do next month in August, on Wednesday nights. Some people from the church came by and knocked on our door. Hey, we have a church in the area. Your, Your family are welcome to attend. And frankly, my family, we were, a little, uh, we were a little hurt. And I don't know, we weren't actively looking necessarily at the time. And we had a lot of needs. And some other men from the church came back and began to help do plumbing in the house. And some do electrical work. Lee Swick came and helped with that. Jim LeMay, Al Pritchard. These are mem- former members of Trinity Baptist Church, men who have moved on now. But God used men to come. And they didn't come with big, huge family Bibles to discuss theological things. They just came and loved us and helped provide for us. And to this day, my dad loves those men dearly. And I find myself sometimes reminiscing with my wife and telling her about growing up at that time. I was only eight years old, and I can remember those men coming. Mr. Swick, I used to ask him for gum whenever he would come. He'd always be chewing gum. And i always asked him for a piece of gum, and... He taught me how to wire outlets, and I was eight or nine years of age in the house. And that's where we lived. That's where we were at. But I'm telling you, listen, those men loved us. It was useful. Listen, kindness is useful. This this word kindness here isn't just talking about a kind word necessarily. It's talking about what you might bring to the table to help that person in their need. This is supposed to be happening within the church. Love is kind. Number, Number three, I noticed this morning, love acts humbly. Love acts humbly. Notice verse number four, uh, the latter part. Now read down through verse number five. He says, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Now, love acts humbly. Love is humble. An arrogant person is not a loving person. A proud person is not a loving person. They love themselves, but they don't love others sacrificially. No, love, love that pleases God, love that the Holy Spirit of God identifies is greater than hope and greater than faith, which pleases God. Sacrificial love is humble. Love doesn't envy That's what he's saying there, where it says charity envieth not. It means to burn with envy or hatred or anger. Love doesn't envy. Love isn't jealous of other people. Love doesn't compete. Love doesn't resent another person. Love doesn't become bitter. It doesn't hate other people and their success and their place in life or their looks or their possessions or their uh, positions in life. No, love wants other people to have every possible good thing. Love envieth not. And then it doesn't brag. That's what it says. He says, our charity vaunteth not itself. I hope you're looking there at the end of verse number four. Charity vaunteth not itself. It means it's not rash or it's not boastful. Love doesn't brag. And by the way, outward bragging is designed to make other people feel inferior. Bragging is intended to make other people want what you have But jealousy wants what others have bragging wants to make others want what they have But neither of those is the attitude of love and then he says love is not arrogant Love is not arrogant. He says it's not puffed up pride a big head Love is not arrogant. Arrogant people don't love. They're not interested in other people's issues They're not interested in other people's lives they don't desire to be patient with them. They don't care about being useful to them. I want to talk to the young people here for just a moment. We have some that are in 7th and 8th and ninth grade and up from there. We have some who are in college age. I want you to know, sometimes I think uh, that group, and maybe especially the college age group, there's a mindset that kind of creeps in. You know, you're not in youth group anymore, and, and, but you're not... You're kind of doing your own thing. You're going to college, and you're not, you don't have a family here. And I want you to know something, whether you're in college age or whether you're, you're younger than that and you're in high school. I, I don't know if you realize the influence and the impact that you can have upon Trinity Baptist Church. You know, Nathaniel, I've told you before, I appreciate so much you come and you sit and you come. And you know, what? Nathaniel comes, and he just graduated from high school, and you know, um, um, there, there have been several times I'll be sitting here before a service, before I'm going to preach, and I'll look down, and I'll see Nathaniel Pulley sitting here, and my heart is encouraged because of his presence. And, and I can say that for many others in this room. But, but as I'm talking to the young people for just a minute, I, I want you to grab a hold of this idea of being selfless of setting aside some of your desires and some of the things that are pulling on you in this life. And I'm challenging you to set some of those things aside, the fleshly you, which I have too, which I struggle with too. I'm I'm encouraging you and challenging you to set those things aside and say, you know what, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to love my fellow believers, some who are younger than me and some who are older than me, and I want to love and encourage them. I want to be selfless the way that the Lord Jesus Christ is. Young people, I want you to know you have a tremendous influence on Trinity Baptist Church and the future of it. Oh, love your parents. Sacrificially love your parents. Don't argue with them. Just, and, and just don't be consumed with what you want in life and what, what you think you ought to... You know, it, time will come soon enough where all the decisions in your life, you will be making them. You'll be deciding what you do and where you eat and where you go and what you where you'll be just making all those decisions. That time is coming soon enough. While you're living under the, uh, your parents' roof, I want you to honor them. God commands you to honor them. Honor them and love them sacrificially. Give yourself for them. And, and give yourself for your local church. For the body of Christ. Love acts kindly. It's, it's humble. Notice again, uh, let's see here, verse number five, the beginning part. He talks about love doesn't act unseemly and that word unseemly means dishonorably love doesn't behave dishonorably love doesn't behave inappropriately now now this isn't something i made up i'm just walking through the passage here we're just answering the question what is love You know, okay, so we know what love is not. Love is not words that are empty. Love is not works or or without love or wisdom without love in verses 1 through 3. But what is love? Well, love is kind and love is humble. Love doesn't behave itself unseemly, dishonorably, inappropriately is what he's saying. The same word here used and translated as unseemly is also used in Romans chapter 1 in verse number 27 where the Apostle Paul talks to the church at Rome about an awful day where men are sleeping with men, and he says, doing that which is unseemly. It's, it's not honorable, it's dishonorable, it's, it's, it's only for sexual gratification. And he, say, and he says, love doesn't do that. The actual root of this word, unseemly, means to be shapeless or to have no form at all. In other words, it's kind of outrageous behavior. It's behavior that's out of line, biblically. Out of order, biblically. And the church of Corinth was out of order. It was out of order in so many ways. In chapter 11, the women are out of order. Uh, Again, in chapter 11, we find that the whole congregation is out of order when it comes to the Lord's table, and they're acting selfishly. Some of them are even engaging in drunkenness. Others in the congregation were out of order morally back in chapter 5. You see, love doesn't seek its own. Love is, true love is all, always selfless. It's always unselfish. It's okay to be zealous of spiritual things, Paul might say. It's okay to be zealous of abounding uh, in spiritual things, but seek to abound for the edification, for the building up, for the encouraging of the, the other people in the church. Not just for you. Love is unselfish. It never demands precedence. It never demands recognition. It never demands applause. Look at me. It never demands consideration. Will you, did you ever consider me before you made that decision? Though one might have done that and probably should have done that. Love doesn't care whether it's honored or not. It doesn't care if it's elevated. Love is selfless. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill ye the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens. He wasn't just talking to pastors, but as a pastor, that passage has become very dear to me. And uh, and to a certain degree, I do bear burdens in this room. I do ponder. and, And they're not even and sometimes I think, and sometimes this can even happen where I'm bearing a burden for you that you don't even recognize as a burden. And you're on my mind. You're on my heart. Your family is on my heart and your family is on my mind. I'm thinking about you. I'm concerned about you. I want to see you experience God's best in your life. And, and all of us, I think, can understand this thinking of our children. Think of it that way. We look at our children and, and you know, they, they're not concerned about it. They don't see it as a problem. But as a parent, your heart is burdened for them because if they continue down this path, bad things are going to happen. Some things have got to change in their lives. Sometimes as a pastor, and by the way, it's not just as a pastor, but we as fellow members ought to look at one another and consider one another in love and be concerned about one another. And not, not in a judgmental way, but in a, in a sincere heart of love. I'm concerned for that family. I'm concerned for that individual. I can tell they're overwhelmed and they're bending and they're bending and I know that their flesh is like mine and it's being tempted in another direction. And, there's, and they may be considering the idea, you know what, I'm just tired. And I'm just going to give up and I've had it and I'm not doing it anymore. And we love one another. We find ourselves praying for one another and concerned about one another. That's what it should be in a church. That's what it should be. And I hope you do that for me. But not just for me. I hope you do it for one another. Listen, there are a lot of new people who've come to Trinity Baptist Church in the last couple of years. Some of us have been here for 30 years plus, 50 years. Whether you've only been here one year or whether you've been here for 50 years, I hope you lift up your eyes and look around. Don't be afraid to do this, but get to know somebody's name. Risk the, the idea of you forgetting their name and ask them. And if you... Forget their name. Humble yourself. God lifts up the the humble and say, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. What's your name again? Get to know each other. Why? Well, because humility and love is better than pride. We don't have to pretend. I, I, I forget names sometimes. Get to know their names so you can remember them, so you can say hi to them. So maybe you can get together at Wendy's for a Frosty on a Sunday night after a service. So you can greet each other in Sunday school. So your families can get together. So you can encourage one another. Listen, we're all in a race. And Satan is doing his very best to destroy. And all of us have wicked flesh that's pulling us in another direction. You and I need each other to love one another and to care for one another. And this law of love, and that's what he's talking about in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill ye the law of Christ. And you know what that verse comes after? It comes after Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Uh, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such in one with a spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The context of love one another and fulfill the law of Christ is in the context of a brother or sister in Christ who's gotten off track, who's made a bad decision, who might be heading down the wrong path, and you go to that person and you say, hey, listen, let's not go down that path. Hey, let's go down this path. And you literally, you kind of help, you get your shoulder underneath their arm and you put their arm around your shoulder and you're going to help that brother or sister walk with the Lord. You know what, that takes time. You know what, that takes energy. You know what, that'll, that'll cause you fatigue. That'll cause you to wake up in the middle of the night, burden for that family or burden for that individual. But I'm telling you something, that is the ministry. And it's not just pastoral. It's for you and for me as church members. He's not just talking to the pastor or the church at Corinth He's talking to their members. He's saying, love one another. Love is not suspicious. We see that in this passage as well. In verse number seven, love is not suspicious. Notice again, verse number seven, it beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So it puts up with the faults of others. It beareth all things. It has the idea of covering them. It, 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 uh, not, it's not defending sin, but it's desiring to cover the ugliness of sin. And then love is not suspicious. It believeth all things. It just believes the best. Love doesn't go through life with a cynical uh, suspicion. Well, I just know they're, gonna, they're not going to be around long. Give us all a break. Have a positive attitude. Uh, it goes through life believing the best. Love is not suspicious. It believes the best because love seeks the best so strongly. Love hopes all things. It says there, it hopeth all things. Our hope isn't in a person. It's not in one another. But our hope is in the Lord. The Lord. Curios, The supreme authority who sits on the right hand of the Father. All power has been given unto him in heaven and in earth. And so we hope. It hopes all things. The failures can be great, but they're never final. And the Holy Spirit is always in the process of cleansing. And that's why Jesus told Peter to forgive for over 490 times because we're all in a process. Love is optimistic. It keeps believing because love just keeps hoping, even when trust is sometimes shaken. And we as a church in years past, we've gone through times where trust and confidence has been shaken. Shaken. And every church in in existence for any period of time goes through those times. But love doesn't stop hoping in what the Lord, and that He can take something that's horrible and turn it into something that's beautiful. Love endures. And I love this word "endureth" all things. The end of verse seven, you see the word "endureth." It's a military term, and the idea of this word "endureth" is it is to sustain. It's a quality that sustains a soldier in the face of a violent battle. We're not talking about a minor annoyance here. We're talking endureth is a word for life and for death. And a horrible opposition where violence is taking place and persecution and maybe suffering. Love endures all that. Some of you in your marriages, you'd say, Seth, that's been my marriage. I've endured a lot. We've endured a lot. Love endures. It does. It presses on. What keeps the soldier from from grabbing or leaving his rifle behind and, and, and getting and leaving and running away from the fray? This word endureth. This idea of sustenance. You see, love survives all of that. It doesn't just die, it never really gives up. It endures through everything. Love bears all hurts and wounds and disappointments, believing the best about others in spite of the wounds. When the person is loving is betrayed, love still hopes because God is still God. Love just holds on. Love Some of us in this room maybe we were raised in such a way where we don't we don't love. We don't say I love you. Maybe that's what I mean to say. It, it's not that we don't love, but we don't, we don't use it. It's kind of a feminine thing. You know, grandma says, I love you. And mom says, I love you. And the girls say, I love you. But the men don't say, I love you. But as I've read about love from First Corinthians chapter 13, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the, you know, uh, it's not a feminine thing necessarily. It is a godly. It's a godly thing. It's a godly attribute. It's who he is. He is love. That's who he is. And he sent his only son to die on a cross to save you and to save me. And not just from death and hell in the future, but from sin today. And not just from sin today, so we're kind of in this state of limbo with nothing to do. He saved us to love this kind of love. In a body like this. Loving, pouring our lives into one another. Saying no to things that we might like to do to do the thing the one thing that we must do and that is to love one another first john says we love him because he first loved us why is it that i why is it that i love trinity baptist church and not not the name not the address not the buildings i certainly don't love the buildings though i'm thankful for them why is it that I love you? And why is it? And i ask asking myself this question. Why is it that my love for you is growing? Um, there, are, there are challenging times going through any relationship, and there have been challenging times as your pastor. And uh, years ago, my wife said, you could never leave them. Why is that? And the answer is because he first loved me. And I love him. And to love him is to love his body. Think about that. And as you leave here this morning, ask yourself the question, am I, do I love my God? And if I do, am I loving God? his body the way I should? Am I bearing one another's burdens? Listen, there's a limit. We all have limits. God will see us through. He'll not give you more than you can bear. Allow him to use you to encourage others to walk with him, to live for him, to give their lives for him, to love him. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I'm going to ask a couple of questions this morning, and we'll be dismissed. How many of you would say with a lifted hand? Pastor Ferguson, there was a time in my life when I recognized the love of God. I knew that he loved me because I realized he gave his life for me. He died in my place. He took all my sins upon his body, and he died. He was buried and he rose again and he lives. Pastor, I knew that I was a sinner and I knew that Jesus Christ, who had never sinned, died for me. And so I received him as my personal savior. Pastor Ferguson, would you rejoice? You can rejoice with me that I'm a child of God. I'm a born again believer. Jesus is my savior. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand good and high that I could see it? Many, many hands in this room. Thank you. you. May put them down. Maybe you couldn't raise your hand this morning. You'd say, Pastor Ferguson, there's never been a time in my life where I've ever received the love of God through Jesus Christ. I know that God created. I know that he loved and gave his son. But I have never received him as my personal savior. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This morning, perhaps the Spirit of God convinced you in your heart that Jesus Christ alone can save you. And this morning, you would like to receive him as your personal Savior. If there's anyone like that at all, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me? I need to be saved through Jesus Christ alone. I want to be saved from my sin through Jesus Christ alone. If that's you, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand good and high that I could see it? Anyone like that at all? I want you to know today, if you want to receive Jesus Christ, you can pray to him, and you can ask him, and no matter what you've done in the past, Jesus Christ will forgive, and he will save. But you must ask him, you must believe upon him, and you must receive him as your personal savior. To believers, I speak for just a moment. Did God speak to your heart this morning about loving? Loving God, but loving God through His body, the body of His Son, your fellow church members, we, us, who are so often so unlovable, that He speak to your heart. And if He did, would you say this morning, Pastor Ferguson, pray for me. God has revealed some things to me about love, and I want to love the way God has saved me to love. If that's you, would you raise your hand good and high that I can see it? Several hands in this room, a good number. Thank you. You may put your hands down. I'm going to have Adam uh, lead us in a hymn of invitation just after I pray. So let's pray first, and then we'll take our hymnals and we'll sing together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for these who have asked me to. Father, I pray for the one who would who's, like to receive Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of his salvation. And Lord, I pray for us as members of Trinity Baptist Church. Father, many of us have wisdom Many of us have knowledge. Many of us work hard. We want to serve you, but Lord, are we doing it in the love of Christ? And so I pray for us who our hearts are knelt before you even now, humbly. God, I pray, teach us and grow in us this love of Christ. Use us, I pray, to encourage one another to be an example, to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Father, may Trinity Baptist Church be characterized by this, the love of Christ. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen.